That's a clip from a Google demonstration earlier this year. The woman making the reservation is, in fact, a bot designed by Google. It's acting autonomously and responding in real time to the other person on the phone. The hair salon receptionist she's speaking to doesn't know this. She assumes she's talking to a person. At a few points, you can hear the audience laughing. But after the event, there was a backlash. People were disturbed by how human it sounded and felt that the receptionist had been tricked or duped. Google, probably sensing bad PR, rushed out a statement. The gist of it was, don't worry. In real life, our bots will always identify themselves. A common media trope is that the internet is fueling and reinforcing the politics of identity. It's, you know, making us create our own filter bubbles where everyone thinks the same. It's encouraging us to only associate with people of the same class, race, political or sexual orientation. But the other side, which this story demonstrates, is that the digital environment is also destabilizing or challenging the idea of a fixed identity by allowing us to operate anonymously, artificially change our location, create algorithms which speak for us, etc. It's undermining our traditional understanding of what makes a person. Some see this as liberating. Many understand it as a threat, and they're pushing for measures to address it, from real-name policies on social networks to restrictions on encryption and efforts to regulate content, measures which pose clear and urgent dangers to our freedom of expression. So I've been thinking about these, about these big questions and wanting to start this season with a sort of critical look at what we're talking about when we're thinking about identity. Where are these, you know, these anxieties coming from? What do they mean? How do we engage with them as human rights defenders? And in the coming episodes, we'll be examining the, the ever-evolving, expanding debate around fake news, um, as well as the increasing popular narrative that Facebook and um, other social media platforms are, are destroying democracy. But in this first one, let's, let's go back to the theme that we, we open with, bots and autonomous speech. Not long after Google's demonstration and, and the backlash, a new bill was actually introduced in California in February this year. It's called SB 10001, or as it's become known, the Bot Act. And its original purpose was to make it mandatory for the bots to do exactly what Google had promised its own bots would do, reveal themselves, tell people that they are bots. That might sound quite reasonable on paper, but it turns out that unmasking bots is a bit more complicated than it sounds. It opens up a whole lot of difficult questions about freedom of expression. I spoke to Jeremy Galula of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which has been engaging closely on this issue to find out more. So, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us on the show. It's great, great to have you here. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Um, could you explain to our listeners what the BOT Act is? Um, what's it trying to do? So the BOT Act, it was a California uh, state law here in the United States. Uh, the 
author's intent was basically the, the author was very worried about bots interfering with uh, U.S. elections, particularly back in 2016. Uh, some reports have come out saying that uh, social media was abused to disseminate misinformation and to make certain topics seem like they're trending more than they actually were. Uh, and so the author wanted to introduce a bill uh, to address this problem. Uh, after a lot of negotiation and discussion, the end result is a uh, much narrower bill than the author originally proposed, uh, which is really focused on specifically uh, trying to use a bot for fraud uh, and then not being forthright in the fact that you're using a bot when you're committing that fraud. And, and what would you say are the sort of the main sort of arguments being made for it? So, I mean, at this point, the, the main arguments I would say are um, that this is a problem and we have to do something um, and that, you know, this, this problem will only get worse. Uh, I personally don't find a lot of the arguments very convincing, however. I mean, part of it is uh, the, the way this has been presented is that people have a right to know if they're talking to a bot or not. And I think that there are some scenarios where that makes sense. Uh, but then on the flip side, you get into, uh, or shouldn't, you know, the, another way of framing that is anytime you use some sort of automation to communicate to people online, that you have to disclose that you're using that automation. Uh, and to me, that just seems a little bit like, you know, anytime you decide to, you know, anytime a, a preacher gets up in front of a, a, a congregation and reads from a book, he has to disclose that he's using this fancy technology called a book to uh, disseminate ideas to people. Uh, it just it seems a little odd that we're focusing on the technology and not you know what is actually you know what is the actual harm. And so, what could you describe a little bit about sort of the EFF's position uh, more broadly um, uh, on on the on the bill and and how you guys were involved um, in its in its development? Sure thing. So so it, it, originally the bill uh, as written, in addition to saying that it would be illegal to use, uh, for one thing, it had a, a very terrible definition of bot. Uh, it actually said any account that is used to, uh, I'm trying to remember what the exact language was, is something to the effect of any account that could be uh, or that was imitating a natural person. Uh, and for one thing, this is a terrible definition of bot because I could have a parody account. You know, say I want to have the, the Donald Trump parody account or something like that where I make fun of Donald Trump. Uh, since I'm imitating a natural person, uh, even though I'm not using any automation, I'm just talking about like me manually typing in tweets on, on Twitter. Uh, so it would have swept up that and said, I have to disclose that I am a bot, which doesn't make any sense. So part of it was the bill was just drafted really terribly. Uh, and this is something we see a lot when politicians try to uh, address some sort of technological problem without understanding what they're dealing with. The, the other big issue originally with the bill uh, was that it would have required platforms to uh, create a system for users to report potential bots. And then it would have required the platforms to decide within 72 hours if the account that someone reported actually was a bot or not, and then either label them as such or, or ban them. Um, this is a really, really bad idea. Uh, People, particularly uh, you know, groups that are trying to shut down the speech of other groups, are really good at taking advantage of social media companies' terms of service and you know, community policies and that sort of thing 
to get their opponents kicked off. So I'll give you some examples. So uh, in the U.S., there are some uh, activists who are really against uh, vaccinations, and they've been able to use various social media platforms to get uh, you know pro-science bloggers taken offline. Uh, we saw it, we've seen it with, uh, again, another U.S. example where uh, the alt-right has gotten really good at getting people who are working against racial injustice in the U.S. They've basically figured out how to lawyer the terms of service to get people who are actually advocating for racial justice and trying to end racism, getting those people kicked offline. Uh, and anytime we add another way that people can, that basically malicious actors can use to kick other people offline, uh, even if that's not the intention, people are going to find a way to use it for that. Uh, and so that was a big thing that we fought against heavily and fortunately got removed uh, from their final bill. And um, what, 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 so what was the, um, you, you talked earlier about the, the problem of it being sort of a technology focused rather than sort of problem um, focused. Um, what would you say are sort of the, in your mind, the actual key challenges that something that looks or feels a little bit like the bot that is trying to deal with and how we should maybe be defining those challenges more clearly? So, I, th I mean, I think the real challenge is defining what exactly the problem you're trying to solve is, uh, because you want to, you really want to tailor it to that. For example, the problem isn't that, you know, uh, that people are using bots, because not all bots are going to cause the sorts of problems that you're going to have if you're worried about people influencing elections or something like that. You know, if I've got a, a, a bot that is, you know, an artistic bot that is, uh, you know, looking at other people's tweets and coming up with weird new tweets and, you know, that's trying to make some sort of commentary on the human condition or something like that. That's not a problem. Uh, and depending on what the, you know, point of the, the, the bot is, labeling it a bot may actually destroy the potential usefulness of it. You know, if I'm trying to explicitly create a bot that makes people guess whether or not they're talking to a bot, uh, because I want to comment about, you know, how good this technology has been. If I have to label it a bot, again, you're you're sort of destroying the potential uh, the potential benefit there, the potential positive. Uh, and so the the thing that we've really been challenging uh, politicians and others to come up with is what exactly is the problem? Is the problem that people are talking or using automated accounts, or is the real problem? that you've got not just like, say, one person using an automated account, but that you've got lots and lots of accounts being controlled by a small group of people or one person. You know, the, the problem isn't so much that I can automate my tweets on Twitter or create an, an AI uh, that will, you know, based on things that I've, you know, text messaged my friends in the past, come up with random tweets in the future. The problem that as politicians have, have or as, as, you know, researchers have said is, it's more that we've got these, you know, bot farms in Russia, for example, uh, that are trying to influence elections and that are c controlling large numbers of accounts. So it's really, it is the, it's not that they're using bots because they could just as easily hire a ton of really cheap labor uh, and end up having the same effect with, you know, very simple automation. It's, this isn't really an AI problem. Uh, it's a, we don't know, we don't, we don't know when one account is being, or many accounts are being controlled by a small group. And that's obviously, that is a big problem and, and, and something that sort of 
ties a lot into sort of the the challenges with democracy and understanding attribution of who's saying what and the sort of the, the public discourse that we're that you know that's so important and the foundation to, to to democracy and what you've just described there is something that we may see developments in in terms of policies and and, and, and laws to, to to outlaw that type of activity um from a, from a human rights perspective do you see particular challenges with some of the solutions that might deal with that as well can you elaborate a little more? So, the um, if, if if we're if we're looking at um, potential developments in in uh, identifying a single source that has multiple that has multiple accounts, um, there there may be sort of some human rights challenges with with a law that looks to identify that particular um, problem and, and and outlaw that. Um, are you are you seeing right. those trends as well? And what might be the sort of the human rights impact um, of, of of those I mean, policies? So we haven't really seen those sorts of policies develop yet because, I mean, the politicians are still very much at a fairly very early phase of understanding the issues. Uh, I mean, the, the primary concern, even if you go with on in that direction, uh, is that although a big part of democracy is is knowing you know where the information you're getting is coming from, uh, another big part of democracy is the ability to speak anonymously. Uh, here, here in the states, uh, there's a, a you know many examples of important uh, political speech that was published anonymously and couldn't have been published any other way uh, because it would have gotten the speaker in trouble. Uh, yet it was, it's not like it was illegal speech. It was just important speech, but it was not viewed as you know necessarily positively by the you know people in power at the time. Uh, and so you need to sort of strike this balancing act. I mean, this is where I think, uh, again, this was part of the reason that we wanted to get rid of the uh, part of the original bots bill that would have allowed users to report uh, potential bots is because the social media platforms themselves are in a far greater position to know when, uh, a, you know, a bunch of accounts are created in the same, you know, building or in the same from the same IP address, that sort of thing. They're able to tell when the same, you know, a large number of accounts are tweeting almost the exact same thing at exactly the same time from the same, you know, location. Uh, and these can all be indications that actually this is uh, this is some sort of automation going on, some sort of bot farm in the background. And these are not things that users can see. And so what this is driving towards essentially is that, you know, we don't think it's the role of governments necessarily to be trying to identify who is speaking online. Uh, but the social media platforms, if this is something they're concerned about, this is certainly something that they can uh, look into. You know, they have much more ability and they're in a much better position to tell, you know, mm. what are the signals going on behind the scenes that indicate that this is part of some bot network. Okay, so this actually touches on quite a uh, topical question right now. The extent to which tech companies should be involved in uh, moderating and regulating content on their platforms. Can we trust... Uh, them to decide who is and who isn't a bot. So they've they've got things wrong in the past. Won't they continue to get things wrong in the future? Absolutely. So 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 content moderation by platforms is is something that uh, EFF has been concerned about for a long time, and is something we continue to to work with the platforms on. Uh, it it is definitely the case that we've seen uh, plat platforms tend not to be very good at content moderation. Uh, quite frankly, they they take down things they shouldn't take down, and then they leave things up that do violate their standards. Uh, it's just, it's it's a very complicated problem. Uh, so one thing that EFF has been, has been fighting for for a long time are uh, a real appeals process when your content is taken down. Uh, you know, 
proper notice when your content is taken down so that if you think they made a mistake, you can actually go to a real person, not just interact with them, you know. Again, a bot, a, a customer service bot that is just, you know, throwing canned answers at you. Uh, at the same time, uh, I think bots are a little bit different because a lot of the signals that, you know, this account is a bot or not, and again, this is why we didn't want users to be doing this sort of reporting, because users will be influenced to a great deal by what the bot is saying, by, you know, the political content of what it's saying. But from the, the platform's point of view, uh, what looks like a bot and what doesn't look like a bot has a lot more to do with a lot of, frankly, technical signals. Uh, what is the IP address? Uh, you know, what, what, what was the timestamp of this post compared to other posts? How similar is this post compared to other posts? Uh, you know, how, how similar is it compared to other accounts that were created at about the same time as this you know, where is this post coming from in, in terms of geolocation? It's a lot of lot of data that is not does not have as much to do with what I'm advocating for or whether it goes or, you know, violates some community standards or some content policies. Um, and so I trust them a little more. Uh, that's not to say they're always going to get it right. Uh, and in particular, you know, we have heard of people who, uh, keep getting their accounts uh, flagged as a bot, even though they are honest to God, real human beings, and they're not using any sort of automation. And this is where it really the importance of having a a robust appeals process does come in. Uh, and so I think that's very very important because otherwise you do get uh, you will get people who are fighting for human rights having their content taken down. And if we just take a step back a little and obviously EFF has a broad mandate and you work on you know a, a number of different issues um how do you see this fitting into sort of the broader developments in tech policy is the is this crackdown on bots um, a strange sort of outlier or can it be linked to sort of other trends or anxieties among um, uh, public policy makers I mean I think it's it's part of it is I think it's linked to this trend there's a lot of anxiety uh, about AI AI has been hyped up quite a bit uh, in the past, you know, decade or so, probably not even that long. Uh, it's, it's always sort of been in the background of the public consciousness, but it seems to have come to the forefront uh, very recently. And I think it's something that uh, policymakers want, are both concerned about, but also want to jump on as, as showing that they're very tech savvy, so they know something about AI. Uh, but, you know, when we're talking about the sorts of automation uh, that are that account for most social media bots, we're not really talking about AI. We're talking about very simple, you know, scripts, very simple. It's almost more like uh, Mad Libs where you just, you know, fill in a couple of, you change an adverb here or you change an adjective there and you're just generating lots and lots of tweets on lots and lots of accounts. Uh, but it's not really any, any complicated, you know, neural networks or anything that are, that are feeding these things. And so I think it's, it's, it's part of that sort of entrance of bots and automation and AI into the consciousness of, of lawmakers. And um, so from the standpoint of a human rights defender, the sort of rights for bots um, might seem sort of a, a hard sell. Um, do you have any thoughts on how we should be framing this argument to get across its importance? Absolutely. So bots do not have rights. I'll, I'll come out and say it straight. But people who use bots uh, potentially do. Uh, the people, uh, people who use bots to communicate, it's their rights that we're worried about. It's the right of you know, 
my right to choose my form of how I want to communicate with people uh, without necessarily the government getting in the way. Now, it's, it's a totally other thing, I should be clear, that platforms totally also have the right to say, we don't want bots on our platform, period. And they can do that. Uh, and, uh, I mean, they have, to a great extent, they've kicked off a lot of bots. Uh, but it is not the government's place to say, we will only, uh, you, you are not allowed to communicate uh, in such and such manner unless they have a very compelling interest. And so this is where we get back to the fraud example. Government certainly has the right to uh, pass laws preventing fraud. Uh, and it's, it's that sort of thing where, uh, you know, the, the free speech rights are definitely diminished because you don't really have a free speech right to try and perpetuate fraud. So that's what I come down to. It's, it's the right of the people, uh, you know, the programmer who wants to use a bot, the, the, the civil rights, the civil liberties organization that wants to automate and schedule their tweets because they're not going to, they can't afford to have people in the office over the weekend to uh, tweet. And so that is a simple form of automation uh, that this bill would have basically said you have to label. Uh, and then it diminishes our ability to get the message out if now people are saying, well, you know, the EFF Twitter account, that's just a bot. Well, yes, it's just, it's automated because we scheduled our tweets. So it, it really is about the, the rights of the people. And from a um, sort of an advocacy perspective, um, what do you see as a sort of the, the major um, developments or sort of the need um, to sort of, you know, standardize this position or get sort of, you know, norms to be um, understood that uh, people have rights and, and, and those are extended to whatever sort of tool they want to use to be able to, to, to fulfill their right to free expression? I mean, this is this is a it's it's a struggle that EFF in particular has been has been fighting uh, almost since we were founded. Uh, I mean, if you if you look back, it's hard to believe, but you know, 20 years ago, uh, maybe it's a little more at this point. Uh, it was not, at least in the U.S., it was not established law that uh, code was equivalent to speech. That my my I have a right to write whatever program I run, I want and publish it. Uh, the government was saying, no, actually, that's not the same thing as, you know, writing a book or writing a poem. Uh, you can't just write code down. When you do that, you're doing something else. That's not speech. And that's something EFF fought against. Uh, and we won. We, we got the government to realize that code is speech. And this is essentially just an extension of that. It's, it's the, now it's the expression of the code that I write uh, that counts as speech. And so, it, I mean, this comes up whenever new technology comes up, uh, making getting people to realize that, you know, this isn't that different. I'm still using it to communicate, and it's the fundamental act of communication that is protected. That was Jeremy Galula of the EFF. You can find out more about their work around bots and uh, specifically the Bot Act on EFF.org. I wanted to unpack this, um, this issue a little bit more and go into more of the broader uh, legal and ethical implications of bots and artificial intelligence. So I reached out to John Frank Weaver, who recently published an article arguing that actually bots should be given uh, First Amendment rights. In other words, the right to freedom of expression. He's a regular contributor to Slate, uh, a lawyer at McLean Middleton, and the author of Robots Are People. Here's our discussion. It's interesting. So in, in a recent article, you argue that um, First Amendment rights should apply to bots and that doing so, in fact, is crucial for the protection of free expression for humans. Do you mind sort of explaining this argument a little to our users? Sure, absolutely. So the, the people usually think of 
the freedom of expression as only protecting the speaker. Let the speaker have free access to all the means or most of the means to express his or her opinions and beliefs, but actually also protects the listeners as well, uh, with the idea being that you're free to speak whatever you want, but I'm also free to get as many ideas, as many opinions, beliefs as I can listen to and understand and use those to to make my own judgment. And by limiting bots or autonomous devices, artificial intelligence, in terms of what what the, those technologies can speak or how they can say certain views, that's limiting the rights of listeners. Uh, there's also this idea that and it's related that there is a marketplace of ideas and that if you let all the ideas into this fictional marketplace, this hypothetical marketplace, people will listen to the ideas, make decisions, and naturally the best ones will rise up to the top and the worst ones will be discredited. That isn't to say that there won't be an endless stream of ideas that should be discredited introduced into the marketplace, but the idea is that good ideas ultimately trump ideas if you let them go head to head. But for many of our listeners, they're probably thinking, you know, isn't it is it unreasonable for me to understand, you know, who's saying what? Um, sort of attribution and accountability are often understood as sort of prerequisites for sort of participation in civic life. Um, do you think that these uh, conflicts are more likely to come up in the age of um, in the age of AI? Yes, absolutely. And there is a, but that doesn't remove the importance of protecting speech. It, we, if you believe, as I do, that speech is a fundamental right and the rights of the listeners and the speakers should be protected, then it should matter where the speech is coming from. You want to protect it. Now, that, that doesn't mean that that's carte blanche to speak and to say whatever you want. There have been laws and prohibitions from the highest court in the U.S. for well over a century now uh, reflecting that some speech is prohibited and can be prohibited despite the First Amendment. You can't yell fire in a movie theater. It's among the most famous examples. Um, but short of those small examples, um, the government does not have the right to prohibit or regulate speech. Um, now, having said that, I think that the situation introduced by bots, autonomous technology, artificial intelligence – creates a different layer to this, right? Because they're able to mimic a human being and make other human beings think that they are talking with or, or reading input from an actual human being. Now, for the most part, that probably is benign. Um, and there are a number of situations where it doesn't matter one way or another. However, where there are sensitive topics like elections, the most prominent example recently, I think the government has a uh, has a heightened interest in making sure that elections are conducted fairly, that they uh, don't uh, that, that that they aren't second guessed, that they're reliable, and that voter confidence, citizen confidence, remains high in the validity of each election. To the extent that bots, AI, influence or skew elections through otherwise free speech, I think that's problematic. And I think that there is, under the Constitution, reason to regulate that or to uh, to to regulate or to, I don't want to say prohibit, but um, to govern that in a way that it would not be permitted under the Constitution. 
so you're saying in, in, in as many words that the the um the, the type of speech um the, the the limitations of the type of speech that we already have should stand whether that's a bot or a, or a human um but particularly around sort of uh, sort of uh, public participation and sort of uh, political discourse that there may or may be other reasons or maybe other ways in which the the state has a role to play in in, in engaging in um uh, identifying bots where possible do you think there are there are other um, circumstances where bots or, or other forms of semi-autonomous or autonomous speech should be labeled? So the California speech, when it was excuse me, the California bill, when it was originally drafted, applied broadly, and mm. so any any effort by a person or a company or an entity to create and use a bot that knowingly impersonated a human being and tried to convince real human beings that they were communicating with a real human being, that was prohibited. The EFF letter objected to that and claimed that it was unconstitutionally broad. And, and I think that the EFF had the better argument there. And in response to that and some other feedback, we ended up with the, the version of the bill that we have now that, if, unless I'm mistaken, I believe has become law. And uh, that is that it's limited to not only bots that are seeking to influence a vote, so for political purposes, but also that are attempting to influence commercial decisions. And I, I think I'll be curious to see how that plays out. Historically, commercial speech is not as protected as political speech uh, or or, um, or other types of speech. I am, but ha having said that, I, you mentioned that I have written about freedom of speech for bots. I've also written about the idea that there's a fiduciary duty by designers of artificial intelligence. That is, if you look at how our brains respond on a biological level to things that we interact with, that we through speech that we speak to, all sorts of neurons get lit up in our head that don't get lit up just by typing into a computer or texting with somebody. When you're speaking with somebody, neurons light up and you naturally form some sort of affinity or stronger opinion with a human being that you're speaking with than you would otherwise. What researchers have found is that similar neurons get lit up when you're speaking with a device. So uh, Google Home, Amazon's Alexa, uh, Siri, all these are devices that, by speaking to it, biologically, our brains are being trained to have a closer relationship with that device. It's not easy, it's not difficult to see a situation in which those devices that develop that rapport with us are then abused by their developers to sell us things, to convince us of opinions, to move us in ways that we would not otherwise be moved, but for that affinity that has been created because we're speaking to it. So First Amendment concerns aside, I do think that there is a concern that if we don't watch the commercial interactions between AI and human beings, that there's a potential for some abuse there because of the way we respond to things we speak to. In the bot bill, I'm not sure it matters quite as much um, because by and large, the bots are text-based. We're not going to be communicating with them the same way. But I am curious to see how that plays out in courts, if it's challenged, uh, and, and if commercial speech is given less deference in this context as it has been in other contexts. That's super interesting and, um, and great to have your um, your perspective on that. I think that there's a 
there's a whole world of um, bots and AI that are going to be changing the way in which we sort of interact and, and that emotional and sort of like biological sort of relationship with with our devices is very much moving. Um, we used to have a sort of, um, you know, thinking about the world as a, a the internet really is a sort of a web-based uh, version of, of the web. And we're now moving towards this device-based version where, you know, in-home devices in particular, um, uh, sort of smart solutions are becoming much more embedded in our everyday life and, questions around um what what can say what to whom to when um will, will i'm sure becoming uh, more and more uh, complicated as as those become more and more sort of entwined with 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 our actual sort of um uh social interactions and social norms um there's been um sort of a, a big crackdown recently from from twitter on on, on locked accounts to sort of tackle fake news and um, there are lots of other sort of uh, solutions out there from sort of real name policies of social networks and sort of attempts to undermine encryption, which is really, you know, trying to um, deal with the, the, the question of, um, of, of, uh, of, of fake and, and, un, un, and untr sort of untrusted digital environment that, that, we're, that we're getting to. Do you think that these sort of attempts are also related to the discourse around, around bots? Um, is there something bigger here um, that, that this is this sort of like this course is, is 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 getting at that we're sort of losing the sight losing our sight with? Yeah, so I, I think that this comes down to how the social media platforms see themselves and how we see them. I think a lot of people view them as more or less like public forums, right? Uh, you used to two three hundred years ago, you'd go out to the public square and there would be people on soapboxes or crates or what have you, making public announcements, uh, having some form of public debate. And in some ways, social media has replaced that. The difference, though, is that the street corner, that is, that is actually a public forum. That is public property, and there are certain constitutional rights that uh, govern that space because it's governed by the government. Social media is not governed by the government in the same way. It, we might perceive of it as a public forum, but in terms of the constitutional law requirements, those are spaces that are run by private companies, uh, no different from, say, a, a mall or uh, any other private establishment. Um, so the, I, I agree that the, the banning or the shutting down of human accounts that don't satisfy or, or violate criteria use that these companies have set up is related to the effort by some of these companies to identify and ban uh, autonomous accounts, to ban bots, in the sense that uh, there's, there's a belief and understanding that I think is accurate that both examples are not contributing to a healthy, spe uh, a healthy dialogue within those social media platforms. Um, and the uh, and the, the requirement that you would typically expect in a public forum that the, the government cannot ban free speech will not apply to those social media platforms unless we start to identify them as public forums, right? So until until they're not until they are public forums, they're private companies, they're able to establish terms of use. And if customers violate those terms of use, uh, the companies have, measures including the termination of services to those customers and that goes for human users as well as autonomous users. 
And, and do you think that, um, just like in the sort of the, the, the content re um, removal sort of dialogue and the, and the way in which sort of uh, governments have been pushing down responsibility of dealing with um, some of the uh, some of the harmful and sometimes in many cases also illegal content onto sort of private governance and private infrastructure, do you think that's likely to take um, the, the the question around bots and 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 and, and fake? Um, or sort of autonomous speech that's created on those platforms will also follow that trend that governments will look to sort of see the company as a solution to the problem, um, whilst you know companies are are, are pushing back against um, to the, the, the changes in legal and regulatory um, sort of uh, landscape uh, to prevent there from being greater liability of that. Uh, I think in some ways what you're describing is happening already. So the original version of the California Bot Bill put an affirmative obligation on social media platforms to terminate accounts that they had identified as bots, uh, which basically put social media companies in the position of having liability if they don't shut down those accounts. And I, I have not, I did not follow the lobbying efforts that was going, that went on behind the scenes in Sacramento. Uh, however, that seemed to be effective because the final version of the bill did not contain those requirements placed on social media platforms. Um, similarly, the, uh, the bill that's currently with the, currently in committee with the U.S. Senate, uh, that bill also would require the FTC to create regulations that would um, obligate social media platforms to come up with policies governing autonomous accounts and w what happens when, uh, when those accounts are being misused. So I, I think you're seeing that, and you're also seeing, as you mentioned, social media platforms pushing back against that. Uh, they want to be able to set this up under their own terms of use. They don't want there to be a uh, an affirmative government obligation that would create either uh, civil liability or uh, criminal liability um, uh, imposed by the government. I I'm disappointed that the California bot bill did not contain the the original language. Um, I think that you know the the most logical policing forces for these platforms are the platforms themselves. I think that state and federal law enforcement, they will have a very hard time being able to police and monitor these platforms in the same way that the platforms monitor themselves. Absolutely, and and, and definitely a, a trend that we're seeing, and 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 a solution that we're also sort of uh, proposing in, on on our side of the table. You know, we've been talking a lot about the particular challenges of dealing with you know autonomous uh, speech and 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 sort of the sort of legal and regulatory solutions that we're seeing. Um, and I mean, I, I do really think that there is a sort of a bigger sort of question around you know identity and, the, and trust in the the, the broader digital um, the digital landscape. Um, I wonder whether you you had any sort of final thoughts, or suggestions, recommendations of how do we how do we continue to sort of build trust and regain trust of users um, of, of of the of the of the internet and digital technologies more broadly in an age of autonomous speech and and, and, and bots more broadly. I I think that self identification of bots is a really good first step. Um, my guess is that a number of people, possibly myself would be surprised how many social media accounts or outlets on the web that we frequent and enjoy that are in fact autonomously maintained and autonomously producing content. Um, now that that, and in fact, I advise clients that they should draft AI policies, artificial intelligence policies, similar to the privacy policies that most companies have in effect now, um, in which they provide not a, a 
totally transparent view of what their AI practices are, um, but that give consumers some information about how they're using AI. Uh, because it's not just the, the bots that we interact with, it's also the extent to which AI is being used to analyze our personal data, what decisions are made using that analysis, and you know how much of ourselves we're revealing to these companies without realizing it. Um, and I, I think that the European approach is superior to the American approach, at least as it's been done so far, um, viewing personal privacy and personal data as a fundamental right that inherently belongs to the user. Um, the, the joke in my field is that in Europe, privacy is a fundamental right, and in the United States, we trade our, trade our digital privacy for 50 cents off of our next Amazon purchase. Hmm. Um, and it's, that is unfortunate. Um, I just want one one final question, John. You've uh, you've written a lot about extending sort of First Amendment rights uh, to bots, um, but what other rights should uh, uh, bots have? So I, I think that bots should have rights, to, uh, basically some sort of limited legal personhood, limited rights and obligations, to the extent that giving them those rights and obligations provides utility for the human users. You know, for uh, an example that I frequently bring up is that we are seeing advances in um, interpersonal relationships between uh, robots and uh, human beings. We're also seeing advances in the ability of the physical ability of robots to, say, physically help human beings. Um, I, I think we will eventually get to a point where uh, it would make sense for an older person uh, who may be beginning to suffer from dementia, where they they want to entrust some powers of attorney or uh, some level of guardianship in a program or in, in a robot. Um, I think that certainly will happen in my lifetime. But right now, there's no mechanism, there's no legal mechanism for that to happen. As the technology develops, I think it'll make sense to give qualified devices the limited legal right to serve in that capacity for older citizens, possibly children, depending on the circumstances and the technology. Uh, but that, that's an example, a good example of providing some level of limited legal personhood to robots that would give utility to other people, to real people, excuse me. Uh, similarly, uh, intellectual property is an area where you're seeing the development of lots of devices and programs that they are independently and autonomously can create uh, intellectual property, paintings, music, written word. But if you read intellectual property law, certainly in the U.S., and as I understand it, almost universally internationally, you need to, uh, or excuse me, copyright only attaches to works that have been produced by a human being. If you look at works that are produced by, that have been produced by animals, by uh, and and by machines, I would argue there is no copyright attachment. It goes right into the public domain. We need to come up with some sort of robot agency that would allow those devices, those programs, to serve as basically IP agents for the human beings that create them. Again, that's another form of limited legal personhood, limited rights that would give utility to real human beings. That was John Frank Weaver. Find him on Twitter at RobotsRPeople and see his work on his personal website, johnfrankweaver.com. The next episodes will be following shortly. Until next time, goodbye.